You have a question about something in the Bible, or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 381 4567, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, October 27th, 2016. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dan. Jacob, great to be with you tonight on the Virtual Bible Study. Good to be with you as well. And those who are watching our video tonight can see that there's someone between us tonight. Yeah, we've got a special guest. We're, we're uh, in the the midst of our gospel meeting that we've been talking about for the last few weeks our gospel meeting has been ongoing here at college view this week uh and we've really had a good meeting lots of good lessons and uh, just been very encouraging uh and tonight was certainly more of that encouragement and with us tonight is alan yader alan preaches for the case and lane church in murfreesboro tennessee uh and has come uh to join us in the gospel meeting tonight and we're going to use the the lesson he just taught to us. We just concluded. In fact, we just rushed over here from the conclusion of the of the service. And we're going to Alan. We're going to use the lesson that you taught us tonight uh, as a basis for our discussion. You titled the lesson "Resolutions for Men," but the subtitle was "The Challenge of Being God's Men and Rearing Children in the 21st Century." Yes, that's right. Uh, I think a lot of people r- really are interested in talking about that because I think it is a tremendous challenge. I think every good man wants to take his children to know God and serve, and he wants to protect and provide for his children. Exactly right. Well, well, maybe all parents. I, I, I'm, I wonder about that sometimes. Every good man. Every good man. That, that's the qualifier right there. Every good man does. You use. I, I thought it was very interesting. You started us out, Alan, with a with a. Scripture from the book of Malachi in chapter 4, verse 6, that just sort of, to me, just really set the tone. And it seemed like Malachi could be talking to the people of our generation. He shall turn the hearts, talking about what would happen when uh, the Messiah would come, especially even here when John the Baptist would precede the Messiah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Uh, in other words, there's, if, if we don't get this right, there's going to be a price to pay. Yes, and we're already seeing that price being paid. And yes, John was coming to prepare for Jesus, and the goal God's always had is for fathers to have their hearts turned to their children and for children to turn their hearts to their fathers. Exactly right, exactly right. And, and so... Um, that's what we want to talk about. I, I put out, uh, we always put out an update uh, on Thursday about noon talking about our program for that night and what we'll be talking about. And I just I just gave a couple of questions, and we'll try to get to those as we go along here. But I asked the questions for, for feedback from our listeners. What do you think are some of the greatest challenges facing men as they seek to live for God in the 21st century? And I asked, Alan, and, I, and you didn't really cover this too much, but I... Some things are easier, I think, for us than our forefathers. Yes, I think one of the things that's easier is we're uh, more encouraged to express some emotion. Yeah. You know, I saw a gentleman in the auditorium tonight giving a, a young man a big hug. You know, um, when we were growing up, Greg, we yeah. didn't see much of that. Yeah, that's right. And so I think to express emotion is easier in our culture, um, but to use proper emotion yeah. would be more difficult. So we'll talk more about that. Some things that maybe are easier for us today, but I think there's some things that are harder for us today. That we're facing some challenges that are were unknown in the world before this present generation. And you mentioned some of those in the lesson. We'll talk about that. And then uh, I ask specifically, what are the biggest challenges in rearing godly children? And we'll talk about that too. Um, well, I got to tell you, you know, I think what a lot of people would say, Alan, is Oh, it's too late for me. You know, I I, I blew it uh, when I had a chance to be a good father to my kids. Uh, I, I wasn't there, and I didn't do it. 
and it's it's too late. I, I've I've known some men who felt that way and who 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 expressed it, you know, with tears expressed, you know, I I didn't do the job when I had a chance to do it. And it very well may be too late for their children. Yeah. But it's not too late for all children. Right. It may be their own grandchildren. It may be the children that live next door or across the street. I can remember growing up in the hills of West Virginia, my grandparents had an old pickup truck and had a bench in the back of it, and they were the the parents and grandparents to many orphan children whose parents were just not at all concerned about their children. So I I think that regardless of our age, we can build from our mistakes, and we can break the chain and say, yes, I was a terrible father, but I'm committed to being a, a better grandfather. Yeah, I think that's an important thing. I mean, uh, we've all made mistakes, and I th- if there's a if there's a father out there who says I didn't make any mistakes when I was raising my kids, I, I've, 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 I first of all I haven't met him, and if I did meet him saying that, I wouldn't believe him. Yes, because uh, c- we we all make mistakes, but but that doesn't mean we have to keep continuing the mistakes. We can we can break out of that, and that's one of the things you encourage us to do tonight. But I I, I was especially. Uh, interested in hearing you discuss a little bit more about the power of parents and fathers in particular uh i i've made the point uh, i hear the, i hear our kids out here in the hallway <laughs> carrying on that's Those fine be your children yeah they're probably my grandkids <laughs> uh, i i have made the point plenty of times that i see my father in me and I even see my father in me in ways that I didn't like in my father. Absolutely. And that's the power of a father. It is. It, it seems like it's an unbreakable mold sometimes. Yeah, yeah. The very things that we most despised about our parents, <laughs> we end up repeating. Yeah, yeah. And um, part of that is you know, genetically influenced. Part of that is environmentally influenced. And to, to break out of that mold takes very serious, determined, prayerful um, disciplines. Yeah. Uh, I think the takeaway that we have to get from that is, okay, so we see how powerfully our fathers influenced us. Know that then, and that you're doing it to your kids, and they're doing it to their kids. And and so be on guard, because this is, there's, this is a powerful thing. Absolutely. They're watching every mood, everything we do, how we interact, and they are being significantly empowered and influenced by that, either for good or for ill. Yeah. If you'd like to comment tonight, the number is 877-381-4567, or sign in the chat room with other listeners and send your comments in there. We look forward to hearing from you on the program yeah. tonight. And we got some folks sitting in with us. Uh, I hope some more will filter this way, but uh, Steve Newton has come all the way from Lafayette, Indiana. He, has, he, he gets the uh, door prize tonight for having traveled the furthest to come to the meeting. Thank you. I was hoping to win something here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to let you come to the virtual Bible study without admission charge tonight. <laughs> it's free, free admission. Yeah. Uh, thanks for being off tonight. But I've known Steve. Uh, Alan and Steve are very close friends from uh, Alan, what, about a year ago moved down here from Indiana? Yes. About a year January. ago mm-hmm. uh, from Lafayette, Indiana, where Steve is a member. They're close friends. I've been knowing Steve for at least 40 years, uh, but I haven't seen him in a number of years, and I'm glad to have Steve with us. And I think he's got some comments to add in. As you were talking about I've heard dads also say it's too late. I submit that if I'm still alive and my child is still alive, that it's never too late. I can always go, seek forgiveness, take full responsibility, and start reconciling with my children and showing them what that looks like. And when we do that, then no matter how large the schism is between us, I've taken the steps necessary to rebuild. That's right. It, but that's that's a two-sided coin. In other words, I, I can if if I've done some really bad stuff, and I I can try to make it right, you know, but I may not get there all the way because there's there's another person involved. Absolutely, uh, but I can only do what I can do, right. and then let them respond or not respond, and I have to accept my part in that. Yeah, exactly. And giving right. them time to see if I'm really meaning it or not. Yeah, that's part of the. Rebuilding the trust. I think one of the most powerful things I ever heard my dad say to me was, I was wrong. I'm sorry. That was huge for me to have a father who would say, I was wrong and I'm sorry. You started your lesson with uh, the imagery of being asleep at the wheel. And and I think that is a, a, a problem 
especially with a lot of the influences we have in our society today, what do you think are some of the influences that are causing men to be asleep at the wheel, being the, the let, letting down on the job? Well, we, we tend to go into cruise control because, one, we're told um, men aren't responsible. We're told that actually our wife is responsible, that men are no longer as needed or as valuable. And so I think a lot of men check out because the media, the culture around us tells us men aren't important. They're not supposed to be the providers. They're not supposed to be the protectors. They're just supposed to sit back and let their wife take take control of things. All right. And so they just kind of back off because otherwise there's going to be conflict. And uh, maybe a, a, a hesitation to accept responsibility. Oh, absolutely. Responsibility. Yes. One is I'm afraid if I do step out, I will fall on my face. And so if I have to take responsibility, I also have to own it when I failed. Right. And there's just a huge, uh, almost emasculate emasculation of young men that they've been taught don't try anything don't say anything don't do anything uh, mm-hmm. because you're a non-viable force today okay uh, there we, we, you didn't talk about it in your lesson and it's not the thrust of this discussion but really women's roles have have been the society Huge. has done a, have done crazy things to twist the, and pervert the notion of a woman's role and that's and and therefore it's it's all interrelated, obviously. But men, a lot of men are not doing what they're supposed to do, and a lot of women are contributing to the problem and as well. S- and some women, coming to their defense, uh, assume some responsibilities by default. Yeah, we are. And it's plenty of times. Yeah, jokingly, it's a default of their husband. And it's because he will not. And that sort of is a downward spiral. And mm-hmm. he, he, she takes some responsibility, so he lets off more, and 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 down we go. Yes. Yeah. You talked in your lesson, uh, Alan, about. Um, the lack of fathers in homes in in modern society, and it's really it's it's at epidemic proportions. Fathers are absent. We hear a lot of the statistics about illegitimate births and how many how many children are growing up without their fathers because of of the unbelievably the acceptance of illegitimacy. Yes. Yes. Uh, but divorce. And, and we've known lots of people who suffered because fathers were gone because of door, divorce situations. But then you mentioned some other things. I, I think those would, if you, if if we were to ask, why is there an absence of the father influence in homes today? I think those two things would probably come up top on the list. But you mentioned some things that affect a fatherless home, even if the father is physically present. You, you mentioned, you know. Uh, he works all the time, mm-hmm. or he's addicted to entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's addicted to the internet. He's addicted to uh, video games. He's addicted to watching sports on TV. He's there. He's taking up space, but he's not. He's not doing any fathering. So he's, he's, he's still really, ultimately, he's an absent father. Yes, absolutely. And the family suffers uh, because of that. Um, I think that's a big problem. Uh, I, I really think that the influence of modern media uh, uh we probably don't even have a good grasp on on how how much that's hurting us it is huge and um you know as i mentioned in the lesson there's so many young men who are suffering terribly from their own addictions but a lot of times their fathers do not come to the rescue because they too are addicted yeah uh, and, and, of course, when we think about that, we think, we think especially about pornography Absolutely. And, and the access to pornography. We've talked about that a number of times on the Virtual Bible Study and interviewed some people who, who specialize in dealing with that sort of an addiction. And it truly is an addiction. Yes. And it's just rampant in our society. Uh, but as you say, unfortunately, there are probably a number of fathers who are not helping their sons deal with that because they can't deal with it themselves. Yes, yes. And, you know, I notice as I get older and associate more with the older generation that things that we would never have tolerated someone physically coming into our home and saying, we will sit there in front of the television and people will use all kinds of curse words, all kinds of violence, and we sit there as if it isn't happening yeah. and yet we would have never tolerated that and still probably wouldn't physically in our home we would remove that person and yet it just uh, it, it's imbibed into I, our I've, minds. I've told a story before when I was a kid 
in our neighborhood, some of us boys got into a rock-throwing fight. <laughs> and uh, I usually wasn't very accurate with throwing, but I, my accuracy came to me that day, and I hit David Fulkerson in the head with a rock. Well, he went home, and he was bleeding and bawling, and he went home, and I knew there would be ramifications. I headed home and snuck in the back door. And it wasn't very long till here came Mr. Fulkerson, uh, in his car, he drove to our house and he came squealing into the driveway and jumped out. My mom met him on the back porch, uh, wanting to know what in the world, what's wrong. Well, he proceeded to cuss her out mm. because I had thrown that rock and cut his boy's head open. I just knew when my dad got home, I was going to be in just a world of hurt because my dad was a strict disciplinarian. I knew I'd done what I shouldn't do and I, I knew I'd pay the price. But the funniest thing happened. When my dad got home, my mom met him on the back porch, too. And she told him how Mr. Fulkerson had come to her house and cussed her out. My dad didn't even look in my direction. He drove his car down to Mr. Fulkerson's house, and he set him straight. Don't you ever come in my house talking like that. Don't you dare talk to my wife like that. He just wasn't going to allow that, you know. And I never did get a whipping that day, which I clearly deserved. I never did get a whipping that day. But the point of it I've tried to make is you're just not going to invite people or allow people to come into your house and speak like that. But then we turn right around and do it through the media. Mm-hmm. And you talk about this idea of of pr- providing protection from that. You know, I, yes. on the physical level, a lot of men would say, well, I'm not going to I'm going to get a, a, a nicer car for my wife and my, the kids. I don't, when they need uh, new tires, I'm not going to. And there's nothing, maybe nothing necessarily wrong. But I just don't want to risk it. And I wouldn't live in that neighborhood with my wife and kids because it, it's, there may be some violence. I, I wouldn't want to be around that. But when it comes to the spiritual dangers, men are just throwing open the doors and no, no caution at all. And we need some men who will step up and say, there might be a risk in viewing that. I'm not even going to take the chance mm-hmm. rather than uh, saying, well, we'll just let it let come what may. Yes, you know, we just seem to be, again, asleep at the wheel in regard to the real provision and protection that our family needs. And there is no absolute safeguard. Right. Um, you, you know, we can put in all kinds of filters. Uh, personally, we don't have television. We have a television. We have no cable. Uh, we don't have access. We have the, you know, the just very basics of Internet. Anytime I communicate with a woman, whether it's an email or whatever, my wife gets a, a carbon copy of that. Right. She knows exactly who I'm interacting with. She knows if someone happens to, by surprise, walk into my office. Um, you know, I have had those challenges. It, it was terrible living in Europe. When we lived in Budapest, Hungary, uh, pornography was all over the place. And our landlord thought he was doing us a great favor by putting cable in. That was the worst thing he could have done for me. That was the most dangerous thing I faced while living in Budapest mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I dreaded the idea that my children might see that on the the television. And so how was I going to protect them? It's time to start being overly cautious, I think. And maybe yeah. veering too well, far. In Jesus the, talks uh, about yeah. that. Jesus yeah. talks about a radical surgery. Right, right. Pluck it out. Cut it off. Right. I've known of young men who've just uh, absolutely, because of the internet effect, just take their uh, computer and break it, and just right. say, "I have got to. I've got to be done with it." Right. Let's take. Let's grab a quick uh, commercial break, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about that because I think that's so important for us to get a handle on those kinds of influences in our home. All right, we'll take a break. When we get back, we'll do that. We also need to talk about this idea of providing for your family, which is another thing that men are letting down on. We'll talk about that as well. Lots of other things to talk about. We'll get your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Got a question about something you've heard on the Virtual Bible Study? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. I'm Joel Gwynn, a member of the College View Church of Christ with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful and active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended the assemblies only infrequently, the children's endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. 
We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5:16. Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results. Our own common sense and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up fearing God. Here's some quotes worth pondering. The next time you feel like complaining, remember that your garbage disposal probably eats better than 30% of the people in this world. As I grow older, I pay less attention to what men say. I just watch what they do. Man, wish I'd said that. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. Back on the program tonight, uh, we're talking with Alan Yader about the lesson just presented to us about uh, the challenge of rearing children and being a man in the 21st century, a godly man. You, uh, uh, Alan, I'd like you to share that illustration you gave about a snake being in the house and make the application of that. Okay. Um, some time ago, I was having a Bible study with my nephews, um, and one of them has taken an email address, uh, Copperhead Ridge. But we were studying, and we heard the dogs barking outside. And um, so uh, Cindy said, can you come and deal with this? I think there's a snake. And it was a copperhead, so she gave me the 12-gauge, and we took care of it. But the point that I was making in the lesson tonight is I don't think any of us as men would be comfortable with a poisonous snake, or really any snake, um, just kind of roaming around our house day or night that before we went to bed, either the snake had to die or we were going to die. And um, yet we hand our children snakes and we keep them on at all times of the day and night and the children are bitten, maybe not every night, but often. And I just think that snake needs to die. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's just really a powerful way of thinking about it. You know, spiritually, some of these things that we are allowing in our home uh, are more deadly than a than a copperhead snake or a rattlesnake this goes back this probably goes back 40 years nearly but i've often made the point in in teaching about the influence of media back then it was mostly television now it's internet too Mm -hmm. but i've often said you know if you allow your kid to have a tv in his own room and make his own decisions about what he's going to watch I can guarantee you, he's going to watch stuff he shouldn't be looking at. Mm-hmm. That was true of TV. It's even more true of the Internet now. Yes. And and I just don't, I, I really cannot fathom parents allowing their kids to, to have that uh, temptation before them. I mean, you don't have to be a prophet to predict they will look at things they should not be seeing. Uh, and and you're, you're supposed to be there to guard them from that. Yes. You know, I think it also provides, uh, as Jacob was talking about, about providing. Mm -hmm. We feel like because of the culture and because of the advertisement that if if we're going to get our children to be successful in school, be the best students, that we've got to hand them every electronic device. Uh, Interesting, if you happen to Google a guy named Dimitri Christakis, Uh, he's a well-known child um, neurologist, and he came out and spoke about the damage to the child's mental development with any screen time prior to age two. Now, he took a lot of heat from it, Um, and a a lot of um, uh, pediatricians are warning against don't hand your children those electronic devices. Now, I understand even as a grandfather, it's sometimes hard to keep your children engaged and grandchildren, but to just give them an iPad or just give them a cell phone is actually one of the worst things you can do for them. You're really not providing for them. And back to your snake analogy, you don't say, well, we'll leave the copperhead in there until it bites them. Yes. You say, we're going to get out before it does. And the same with these things. You don't wait and and wait until the damage is done. Be proactive about it and and, and cut it off before it can get started. I've got to to commend a, a number of our young families here who have disconnected from TV mm-hmm. and are working hard to control the influence of the media in their homes. And, and I just think every parent has to do that. If you're, if you're not paying special attention to those threats, I believe it's a failure to provide. Yes. You know, we think of provide, you know, First Timothy 5, verse 8, if any provides not for his own, he is denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. 
And we thought, well, he's got to go out and earn money, you know, so they can buy food and clothes and shoes, which would be included, no doubt about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But a failure to protect them from dangers is also a failure to provide. If there was a, if there was a mass killer in the neighborhood, and you said, hey, "Kids, get outside and play," you know, I'm tired of hearing you yelling in the house. Go out. There's a killer. I don't care. Go outside. That would be a failure to provide if you knew that they were going to be in physical threat if they went out out the door. But it's a it's it's a failure to provide if we know that there are serious spiritual threats and we're not trying to protect them from the dangers. Yes, we'll put a bike helmet on them. Yeah, but then put earbuds in their in their ears to, to destroy their mind. Rap music. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Steve's got a point over there. It, it's helpful to you mentioned the word our responsibility to provide. And it seems that there are three major areas. One, to provide materially, physically, to provide emotionally, and then to provide spiritually. And I've had dads say that the providing physically is the easiest to do. And the providing emotionally may be a little easier, but the hardest to provide is that spiritually. And it's the continual, foundational, we want to honor God first as our Father, and so we want you to honor our Father, and then that comes in with protecting them from Satan's threats wherever they come. I, I believe you're right, exactly. So, um, go ahead, Jay. Yeah. And one of the other dangers, maybe maybe less focused on, is this idea that the media is breeding an entertainment addiction in our society. And I think that goes to some of the things you were talking about in your lesson about failure to provide, because folks are. Just, just inter- addict- addicted to entertainment. Yes, I, even I, maybe it's wholesome entertainment. They're inter- they're addicted to it. Right. The the um, founder of MTV um, was being asked about fourteen year olds. Um, we don't entertain them. We own them. Mm. Oh, he actually said that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. That that and unfortunately, it's too true. It's yes. too true. It's amazing, and, and I deal with present a lesson on media in our culture and uh, had parents recently here in middle tennessee speaking about that and their child had racked up thousands of dollars of expense in video games uh and just kind of expect the parents to you know, <laughs> you know foot I, the bill i'm just dumbfounded when i hear these ads these uh, where some uh well-known athlete is urging kids to get outside and play for an hour a day mm-hmm. i think I, how times have changed. When I was a kid, we were out from breakfast till supper, and, and Mom didn't always know where we were, but we were out playing all all day long. And it just it it kills me to imagine that you have to beg kids to go outside and play. But it's because of video games and the media, and they're, and they're addicted to it. Yes, absolutely. All right, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Why don't we get a break, and then when we come back, let's talk about uh, the physical providing uh, that because that is something that men are falling down on mm-hmm. a job, even in the church. Sometimes it seems mm-hmm. like, and so we'll talk about that when we get back. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Don't go anywhere. You might miss something. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. It doesn't take long for the parents of newborn babies to realize that those little bundles of joy also happen to be the most selfish and demanding creatures imaginable. They want to be fed on demand. They expect to be diapered promptly. They want to go to sleep without interruption, and they require immediate attention as soon as they awaken. All of this would be very disturbing in an older person, but we know this is completely natural conduct for newborns. We anticipate that in time the newborn will begin to lose some of that self-centeredness. They will start to realize that the needs and desires of others must be taken into consideration. We call this process maturing. Often this growing up process demands appropriate action on the part of parents. Frequently this required action is in the form of discipline, the kind that is administered to the seat of the pants. The child has finally matured when he is able to think of others before self, when he's no longer the absolutely self-centered being he was at birth. Spiritually speaking, we are born again when we are baptized into Christ, 1 Peter 1.23. At that point, we are all babes, 1 Peter 2, verse 2. As babes, we are typically very self-centered. Our own needs, wants, whims, and desires are foremost in our thinking. But God expects us to mature, Hebrews 5, beginning verse 12. As we grow up, we should begin to lose our selfish way of thinking and demonstrate the signs of our spiritual maturity. Paul said it this way, quote, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2, beginning verse 4. 
if this never happens, there's something seriously wrong. Christian, are you still selfish and self-centered? Are you still primarily concerned about what others are doing or not doing for you? Have you not matured spiritually? Do you need to grow up? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jim Meisner. I worship at the Church of Christ in Deckerville, Michigan. Be sure to listen to the virtual Bible study and watch it. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. Back on the program tonight. I uh, remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Our website is thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Check it out and find out more about us. We're talking with Alan Yater about his uh, sermon that he presented to us tonight about uh, the need for men to be men. Yeah, I think it's such an important thing, and, and so many problems are related to men not being men, and you talked to us a lot about that tonight, Alan. Uh, one of the, uh, Jabe, you were asking him to, to expound upon something there when you went to the break. Yeah, and it's the, the idea that men need to be physical providers. That that role, I think, has been challenged in our society, that men need to be the ones who are, who are doing a, a good share of the providing for their family. Um, and certainly, we don't see that across the board among men today. Yes, you know, I, I, recently I had a discussion with a young man who will remain anonymous, and he's in a situation where, based on his wife's skills and professional level, her income is considerably more than he could produce. And so he, he challenged me to look at that passage in First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And obviously the translators for years and years have emphasized um, the masculine, the male responsibility there. But actually the, wor- the word anyone can refer to male or female. So there is a generic responsibility in the context. And yet we've just grown up with a culture, some of us have, that you know, dad goes and works physically and provides and mom cares for, works for, is the manager of the home. Um, And so my concern is that men somehow think that because my wife has these skills and she might be able to to make more money that I don't have to work. Mm -hmm. And, um, And yet, as I indicated in the lesson, the person who stays home, the person who cares for the little ones, the person who takes care of the cleaning and all the domestic chores it is really working, um, and, and they're really providing. And I know folks that I hold in very high esteem that they may not work as many hours of the day in their employment, but they're doing an awful lot of work for the Lord and for their family and for others. Um, but I do think there is just a sense that God has always placed upon men you need to provide physically for your family. Well, you go back to the uh, back to the fall of man in Genesis three. Absolutely. What was the curse on the man? It was in the sweat of thy brow they shall eat your bread. So yeah, yeah. he, he was he, he was going to be the one out. Uh, and he doing, was working before. That's interesting. Right. In chapter two, he's to tend the garden. So the tending of the garden wasn't necessarily part of the punishment. That was just part right. of getting to be in the garden. There's just right. certain things we get to do because we're placed in the family. Right. Um, but then there was the curse based on the sweat of his face he would provide for his family. Right. Well, you know, uh, b- back to the the woman's role. In Titus 2, mm-hmm. at verse 5, one of the expressions there for the women is to be keepers at home. Absolutely. And and I know that women work outside the home, and I don't think that there's a, that, that there's a prohibition, a biblical prohibition to a woman working outside the home. But I've always tried to make the point, here's your first job. Absolutely. This is your first job because if you're working outside the home, you've still got to be a keeper at home. You've yes. got to manage. And I think the, the gist of that expression is a, a, manager, a manager, like a manager yeah. of the house. She's actually the despot. Yeah. Uh, she is the one who is the one who is responsible right. for the keeping, protecting, providing yeah. in the domestic family yeah. life. Uh, and I, I, I think a lot of families are suffering because – Mom works outside the home because it's imagined we need two incomes. Mm-hmm. Because we can't go on the nice vacations we want to go on, and we can't drive the new cars we want to drive, and, and we can't live in this big house if we don't have two incomes. And all that's true. Yeah, we they can't. can't. <laughs> they can't. That's, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. They, but so many times our families would be much better off without those things so mom could stay home. 
I, I probably will, will get uh, some negative feedback from this, but through the years, and I don't know if uh, my guess is your experience would be the same as mine, Alan. Through the years, when I've seen families in crisis, especially with kids that are out of control, there's a much higher incidence of that with working moms. Mm-hmm. And now that's not to say that mom being at home is the is the fail safe protection against that, but I, I, it's just been my personal observation that there's a much higher incidence of kids who rebel and don't do well if mom isn't home managing the home. Yeah. yeah. We have our experience has been my wife was trained as an educator, as an elementary school teacher, and Greg, you probably don't remember that period in our life, but we took a 17-year maternity leave, you know, and we don't ever regret that. And yeah, we drove older cars and and we didn't have everything, but our investment was our children, and I don't think we would take anything for those times for mom to be home. And what I learned from my friends whose moms were never home, when a child comes home from school. The most vulnerable time in that child's day usually is between 4 and 6 o'clock. And I've had friends who are adults now who said, yeah, that's when I fornicated. You know, that's when I got in trouble. It was because nobody was home, and I knew nobody would be home. And the child comes home to nobody. Yeah. And that's not, a, that's not a very safe place. Back to your snake analogy again, though. That's there on the side of caution. And it's too late after you've been bit by the snake. So that we'd realize there's some dangers. Maybe we'll make some sacrifices to have mom home so that we make sure that those things don't happen. And yet I know of ladies who have worked outside the home and been there for their children and been providing. But, again, we're talking about stereotypical observations. And uh, we just see that if nobody's home with the kids, maybe dad's the one who picks up the kids after school. I can remember days doing that in high school. And, you know, dad's the one who's there to provide in those ways. Mm -hmm. We got an email from Kent in Georgia who, when he was talking about some of the great challenges uh, that men face. He said, remember that the way of the majority is not the standard of truth. The, the, the world will always be antagonistic to God's standards in morality, in acceptable re- worship and religion, and even in the basic way we need to think. It's more easy for us to critically examine the lives of others than to think in a critical way regarding ourselves. I think that's right. I think that's what, you know, the... Uh, we, we've been talking quite a bit about media influence. The influence of the world, our families are being conditioned to believe that what they see on TV and in the movies is normal. Yes. That's normal, and you're and you're not normal if you're not like that. And that's real hurtful. It is. It is. I remember when we moved to Budapest uh, back in the mid-'80s, um, excuse me, mid-'90s, and... Um, I'm going to think about the, the, the dates. Yeah, it was 95 to 97. And so when we went into one family's home, they said, oh, you know Dallas? That was J.R. Ewing. Yeah, yeah. They just presumed that every American lived like the oil tycoons yeah. in, in Dallas. And we tend to believe that. My wife recently came back from uh, visiting someone who had television. She said, I couldn't believe the commercials. I didn't realize all the things I needed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We didn't know we needed all those things yeah, because we content. didn't see those commercials. Right. That's, so right. that's an effective media. Yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. Right. Um, what, what about, uh, we've talked about men needing to do that. What, what about instilling the value in our young people about the need to work? Because uh, that's certainly in media is not uh, in, mm-hmm. influenced and uh, yeah. emphasized. What do you, what do you tell young when people? When you think about millennials, when you think about generational changes, uh, the 1980s were described sociologically as the decade of the child. You know, that's when we came up with minivans. And we became convinced as parents that all of our responsibility and all of our resources were to be funneled on the pleasures of our children. And I think that was extremely harmful. Um, one of the tests I would give, and my son-in-laws hopefully aren't listening, but they'll remember, one of the tests that I always gave is, if that young man isn't willing to take out my trash, he's sure not going to take out my daughter. (laughs) And so if a young man's not willing to work, if he's not willing to provide, then he certainly doesn't need to. But there's a a really big letdown, though, in our day and time of kids not being expected to work. They're, They're not being taught a work ethic. And I really think that that's not only bad in the material world, that's bad in the spiritual world. You know, we need to learn to accept responsibility and fulfill an assignment. Mm -hmm. And 
a lot of kids are not getting that at all. Right. And that's re- I think that's going to really come back to haunt us in the days ahead in, in our culture. Oh, absolutely. I, I remember, you know, third or fourth grade, my mother was always taking us to widows' homes. And we were having to do some of the things we talked about in the lesson tonight. We were having to care for those widows, care for their lawns, you know, whatever we could do. Um, it was just, that was just part of our responsibility was to go and work. And of course, we had our garden and we had to work those things. And so I just grew up, I, I always liked to work. Now, that's kind of abnormal. I know I'm weird. But um, uh, I think my grandchildren like to work. They love to have the satisfaction of, I did take but that, that But that's out. in us. God built that he into did. us. I he mean, did. as you mentioned earlier, even in the Garden of Eden, even in the ideal circumstance of the Garden, before the fall, mm-hmm. there was work to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And, men, Absolutely. and men and women need it. To have such responsibility to so fulfill a role. Yes. Yeah. And, and it has to be taught to children. And it won't hurt for them to go to, to bed one night without a meal if they didn't do what they're supposed yeah. to do. I can remember you talked about gardening. My mom always put out – I mean, when when we were kids – I think the garden was over an acre big, oh, wow. and and you know we were we were sort of her forced laborers <laughs> yes. in the garden, and and I, I dreaded it, but I understand the importance of it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the chat room, Philip uh, says hello. Uh, his wife Jill says hello. Uh, that you may remember her says uh, we just they just had their twenty seventh anniversary. There's much this is much needed subject in today's world, and uh, it is in part the reason there are so many problems in our society and culture. He references your dad, Alan, and says your dad and Jill's dad are good examples of what fathers should be. Well, please give my greetings. I guess I can do that personally. Philip and Jill, and yes, Jill's dad was a great worker, and even from his bed when he had cancer, he worked really hard as a shepherd of God's people. All right, excellent examples. Um, You wanted to get a break, and we'll get back? Yeah, let's take our last break, and when we come back, uh, I want us. I want us to go to the last part of your lesson, uh, Alan, where you suggested some resolutions that we need to commit to, and let's just walk down through those and comment about them briefly, and uh, uh, hopefully that'll be an encouragement to our listeners, especially to our our husbands and dads who are listening, and who will be listening in the podcast version. Uh, some things to really consider as to make a commitment to do, you know, because. Parenthood and fatherhood in particular really requires commitment. If we're not committed to it, we're not going to get the job done. All right, we'll go to the top of the hour and get these uh, good resolutions in after this. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will be back right after these messages. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hi, I'm Jerry Fralix. I'm a member of uh, College View Church of Christ here in Columbia, Tennessee, and I have a few words to say. Occasionally, we hear parents who say that they don't want to force religion on their children. These misguided folks think they're doing their kids a favor by letting them decide for themselves. They're afraid that there will be some resentment in their children later if religion had been crammed down their throats. If we may be absolutely blunt in response, that is one of the most ridiculous ideas anyone ever suggested. We force many things on our children. We insist that they bathe, brush their teeth, change their clothes, etc. We cram education down their throats by making them attend school regularly. We demand that they do their homework. We force them to eat good food, get adequate rest, and do other things that are important to their health and development. We do all of this because we know it is in their best interest, and we do it even when the kids don't like it. Why is it this such a common sense approach is neglected by parents who determine to let the kids decide for themselves when it comes to religion? Dr. James Dobson writes, there's a critical period when certain kinds of instruction are easier in the life of children. There is a brief period during childhood when youngsters are vulnerable to religious training. Their concepts of right and wrong are formulated during this time, and their views of God begin to solidify. The opportunity of that period must be seized when it is available. The absence or misapplication of instruction through that prime time period may place a severe limitation on the depths of the child's later devotion to God. When parents withhold indoctrination from their small children, allowing them to decide for themselves, the adults are almost guaranteeing that the youngsters will decide in the negative. God's Word has always taught us the truth on the subject. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22.6 We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A new study has found that people whose parents divorced when they were children are significantly more likely to grow up to be non-religious as adults. 
35% of the children of divorced parents are now non-religious compared with 23% of people whose parents were married when they were children. That information is via the Washington Post. The Word of God says in Matthew 19, verse 9, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. How about logging off of Facebook and getting into God's book? The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program tonight, and we are talking with Alan Yader about uh, the important responsibilities of men uh, that God has placed upon us in the Scriptures. Uh, in your lesson, Alan, you went through, at the end of your lesson, you just had a, a list of resolutions, and you basically put it before us and say, would you sign this? Would you resolve to do these things? And So <clears throat> I'd like for you to just go through those things and, get, and give us a minute. We've got Steve in here uh, talking with us. Arthur's here. Uh, Kyle is behind the board. Give us a chance to comment on them as you go through. Okay. And these aren't limited just to men with children or no, families absolutely not okay this, these this is just men males yes yeah. okay you know and i want to give credit where credit's due i think that the movie courageous was a powerful movie the kendrick brothers did a lot of really good work with not only vice facing the giants but uh, fireproof they just get better and better war room but courageous was the movie that really most impacted me and that's where these resolutions came from there's a book now called men of resolution and and you will read each chapter is based on on each of these resolutions, and we find that to be very helpful. In fact, we had a young men's class and an older men's class, and there's women of resolution as well, and so we find that to be really helpful to interact with the young men. Resolution number one, I do solemnly resolve before God to take full responsibility for myself, my wife, and my children. Hey, it's not my fault. I'm t- that's, I've been trying to tell people it's not my fault. That's what, that's our cop out, isn't it? Absolutely, we don't it, want to take it, it responsibility. It is my fault. As fathers and heads of our families, it's you, you remember the famous statement by Harry Truman: "The buck stops here." You know, ultimately, whatever happens in my family is my responsibility. Right. I'm the head coach. Yeah. I may not be causing the problem, but I'm the one responsible to deal with the problem. And I think it's good for us to step back and realize it's more than just me. There's a, there's more there's more than just one person in this equation, and I need to be making sure that I'm looking out for all of those. Yeah, that's that's a hard one. We would have family meetings periodically throughout the years. A lot of them would be called because of chaos. And I found that whenever I started a family meeting with seeking forgiveness and apologizing. And taking responsibility for the kids yelling at each other or them yelling at Cindy or whatever it was, that that calmed everybody else not to be defensive. And then I said, please help me to do a better job. I think too many dads and husbands think if I admit that I'm wrong, that means I'm weak. Actually, we are showing a trust in our family and soliciting their help. I've asked for my kids' help dealing with my temper with language, with patience, and guess what? They help. They say, Dad, you're yelling. And I don't want to admit it, but you're right. Let's take five minutes. Let's pray about it. And thank you for letting me know. Yeah. But we got to take we got to take accountability. I think that's a really uh, important one. Okay, go ahead. Resolution number two for husbands and fathers, I will love them, protect them, serve them, and teach them the word of God as the spiritual leader of my home. I really think that's so important. Uh, again, I think most right-thinking dads, there's obviously not right-thinking dads out there, but most right-thinking dads would protect their... They, they would they would actually sacrifice their own life to, to protect their children from and their wife from some physical harm. But then they, they don't step up to guard them against spiritual threats. And I, I really think that uh, that's something that you got to have foremost in your mind. You got uh, My job is to protect them. You know, you, can, you and Jacob could work together rebuilding a Corvette, but we need to work together building the Word of God into the next generation. Exactly. And that's... That's something we need to stop and think about. How do the how do our children see the word? Do they ever see the word of God in our family? Do we ever talk about it? Do we ever study it together? What or is it just something they get on Sunday morning in Bible class, or is it something that that we're feeding them constantly 
in yeah. our homes. We had we had daily devotionals a lot, especially when the girls were little. When they were in high school, scheduling was a little more challenging. We tried to find a time every day to read God's Word together. And, of course, we prayed together as a family. Another thing, we, we just had a meal together. Mm-hmm. And that was just a great And that's benefit. becoming uncommon. Without yes. the television oh, on. Oh, yeah, there was no TV. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right, yeah. yes. All right. All right, go ahead. Resolution number three, I will be faithful to my wife to love and honor her and be willing to lay down my life for her as Jesus Christ did for me. This idea of being faithful to our marriage vows is, I mean, that's, that's under great threat, and and because again because of societal trends, I think Christians are more tempted or more subject to temptation than maybe previous generations would have been. You know, there was a taboo on divorce. There was, you know, uh, you know, it was certain things were expected, certain things you just did not do. But now in society, people don't even they don't even blink an eye yes. at marital unfaithfulness and and so forth. And so that, because of changing norms, it makes it harder for us to be what we ought to be. But we just got to have that absolute commitment. You know, and I, being in my mid-50s, on the back end of that at 58, what I'm hearing is a lot of men who are struggling with this are men in their 50s and 60s. And one out of five divorces is caused by Facebook dating yeah. profiles. Yeah. It's the dating profile that here people are supposed to be married. What are they doing with a dating profile on Facebook? Exactly. And, you know, I, uh, maybe this is a little stretch of the point, but if I allow myself to look at things on the Internet that I shouldn't be looking at, to me, that's that's a form of unfaithfulness. unfaithfulness to my wife. Yes, it is. Yeah. How would we feel if, if we found them doing that? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Number, right. The next one is, I will bless my children and teach them to love God with all their hearts and all of their minds and all of their strength. I think we hear Deuteronomy in those yeah. things oh, yeah. and, and Jesus' reiteration of that. And there wouldn't be – and there's not anything more important you could do for them. I mean, you, you, you're going to do a lot of things for your kids and you're going to try to get them – I mean, you're going to try to get things – help them get their life lined out the way it should be. But there's not any more – I mean, you can talk about education. You can talk about going to the orthodontist, getting their teeth straightened, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, you, there's not anything more important than than to teach them about God. And that passage of Deuteronomy you reference is a, it's it's a daily, constant throughout yes. the day type yes. of activity that you're talking Eyes, about. There, hands, every activity is. It's not a Sunday and Wednesday thing. I'm going to teach them how to do this. No, it's every day. No. And it's in your house. Right. When you rise up, when you lie down. Right. Absolutely. And so another one is to train them to honor authority, and to live responsibly. You take responsibility. You spilled it. You dropped it. You messed it up. You fix it. The authorities, you respect the police officer. You don't play video games that kill him. Yeah. Oh, exactly right. And, you know, this respect for authority, that's really changed again. Unfortunately, it's changed. You know, when we were kids, when we got in trouble at school, we got in trouble at home. It was the same. You get a spanking at <laughs> yeah. school, you'll get another one when you get Now, home. I'm told, we've got some educators here at College U. Now, if the kid gets in trouble at school... The parents come and complain that their child was disciplined at school. It's just completely changed, and, and that's a huge, huge problem. You talk about responsibility. A lot of parents are bailing their kids out, yes. right, and, and and shielding them from taking that responsibility. They're enabling them, yes. right? And I think that's a powerful word right there, enabling. Because I think a lot of parents are enabling their kids. Even you know, we've known of of parents who are Christians. And they're and they're allowing their they're enabling their kids to engage in sexual immorality and right. other forms of wickedness. Right. And I'm I, I, I just it just blows my mind. I can't believe. I mean, yeah. I may not be a, a perfect parent, but I'm gonna tell you, I'm not gonna let that happen in my house. We not only send our our daughter or son scantily clothed to the prom, we provide the room at the hotel yeah. after it. And, and it's known, and that's the yes. purpose of it all. It's crazy. Yes. Go ahead. We're going to run out of time, Alex. Yes. Um, I will confront evil, pursue justice, and love mercy. We're afraid to confront evil. We'd rather just hide... Um, hide in our homes because it, because it makes you a weirdo. You, I don't want to. I don't want to act. I don't want to be considered to be a religious fanatic. Turn a blind eye to it. We're going yeah. to take a lot of heat, but we need to step yeah. up and take the heat. And, and, That's what and a we man need to help. Does. We need to help our kids accept that too. Right. You, you are different, yes. and there's no way. 
you know, I hear, I've heard Christians through the years, I just, I just don't want my kids to be different. And then you read the stats about yeah. uh, uh, illegitimate birth and drug addiction, and, and, and you say you don't want your kids to be different than mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. I want my kids to be way different than that. Yes. And we got to help them be different. And if they're ever to be God's children, they're going to learn to be different. Exactly. And what a better time to start them when they're young and you can support them than waiting until they're 18 and then turning them out and say, now be weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And they won't yes. be. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, I'm going to move on to another one in regard to I will forgive those who have wronged me and to reconcile with those I have wronged. Again, as best I can to take that initiation for reconciliation. So many young people today are wounded, wounded by poor parenting. Um, but we, until we learn to forgive the one who wounded us, we can never be healed. I want to tell you, there's nobody in this world... No, no mortal. Uh, God has had to forgive me of all things that I've done, but there's no mortal human being who's had to forgive me as many times as my wife has. Yes. And yes. I need to be able to say, I was wrong, so I'm sorry. Forgive Please me. forgive me. Yes, absolutely. And I will learn from my mistakes, repent of my sins, and walk with integrity as a man answerable to God. I was talking with a young man this week about millennials and basically, and I don't want to unfairly stereotype, but basically no one owns me. I don't have to answer to anyone. I am basically my own God until we recognize that there is a creator God and we are all going to answer before him and it will be a terrifying event. Then we're not going to feel this, the sense of responsibility. All right. What else we got? I will seek to honor God and be faithful to his family the church. I reworded what the Kendrick yeah, said in that yeah. regard, and obey His word and do His will. And if you know, and that may possibly need to be the first resolution. You know, mm-hmm. I, I got to commit to God. If I commit to God, then these other things will take their place, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And um, I will courageously work with the strength God provides to fulfill this resolution for the rest of my life. And for his glory. Yeah. And it's everything we do has to be for his glory. But that, that, the first part of that, there's there's no downtime. No. You know, I, I, there's no time when I can say, no. I can I can I can relax now. Right. You, you got to be on it. Absolutely. Yes. And the courage you mentioned there too. We don't like to think about this as being something that takes courage. That we are in a spiritual battle mm-hmm. for the spiritual uh, the lives of ourselves and our family. But yes. it is a battle. We're going to have to be courageous. Yes. And uh, we're going to have to fight the lion who's seeking to devour. It's not going to be easy. No. It's the hard. It's going to be the hard road. Mm-hmm. And we've got to choose to, to go down that road. Philip asked in the chat room, "Where are the real men in life who will lead godly lives? Who will dare to stand like Joshua?" Good question. You guys got anything, Steve, Arthur, Kyle, anything to add? Right. We're just about out of time. But I do want to, before we end, Jacob, I want to tell everybody who may be listening in the Middle Tennessee area about tomorrow night. It's the last night of our gospel meeting, but it's actually different because tomorrow night we're going to have a congregational singing. Jim Deason is well-known in Middle Tennessee. He's actually from Coleman, Alabama now, but he's well-known in Middle Tennessee. He's a great singer, great song leader, and he's and he – and he puts together uh, sort of a theme when he because he's done this before. We've had singings with him before, not as a part of a gospel meeting, but we've had singings with him before. And he sort of builds a theme and and develops that throughout the singing of songs. And it'll be it'll be really good. And we hope folks who are listening will make a chance to be with us tomorrow night at seven. All right, and we can't tease folks with Alan's lesson anymore. Trying to get him to come since you missed it tonight. We'll put it in our podcast feed so you can you can listen to out. You want you'll want to listen to that as well as our other uh, sermons that have been presented this week. We've had great lessons. you want to catch those out in our podcast feed. Exactly right. Alan, thank you for taking extra time to stay around tonight and talk with us some more about it's this been important a subject. Thank you for the invitation. Definitely important messages for us and things for us to consider. And uh, we... We've got an uh, incredible responsibility as men, husbands, fathers, grandfathers, single men. God uh, expects a lot from us. Yeah, I've told, I don't know how many times I've told parents, you wanted kids. You got them. Now 
do the job. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, Kyle, thanks for helping us out tonight. We didn't get to you, but uh, thank you for being here. It was good to be here. Thank and, you. And uh, thank you all for listening. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.